Researchers across the world are constantly studying what makes a human body healthy. What they are increasingly learning is that external factors influence your well-being. After all, your health doesn't just come down to genetics. It doesn't only come down to biology. Our health depends on where we live. Our health depends on the care we receive. It depends on personal choices from deep-rooted socioeconomic factors, right down to the cup of coffee you drink every day. We're learning with each new study released by those researchers how long we live is a result of the lives we lead. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story looks at the relationship between upward mobility, stress, and cardiometabolic health. Scientists have learned that there are unique stressors on people who buck the odds and improve their financial status. While climbing the socioeconomic ladder is part of the American dream, the process can come with eye-opening new costs to our physical wellness. Our second story follows the health outcomes of something that over 83% of American adults partake in, regardless of their economic status, drinking coffee. In analyzing brewing methods head-to-head, researchers got to the bottom of one nagging question. How does drinking coffee actually affect our health? And more importantly, what is the best way to drink it? This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, the hidden health trade-off linked to climbing the socioeconomic ladder. I've had the most absurd nightmare. I was poor and no one liked me. This country, you've got to make the money first. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Say money can't buy happiness? Look at that smile on my face. Ear to ear, baby. But how's your health? The accumulation of wealth and the ability to do so has long been a staple of the American dream. But does wealthy equal healthy? For years, we thought so, and research backed this up, that if a person's financial status improves, so will their health. But there may be a hidden trade-off to ascending the socioeconomic ladder. In a study published May 2020 in the Journal of the American Heart Association, scientists found that while wealth can improve mental health, it doesn't always improve cardiometabolic health. That's the health related to someone's chance of developing diabetes, heart disease, or stroke. It turns out climbing that wealth ladder can be stressful. Greg Miller, a psychologist at Northwestern University, explains. The hard work itself is probably gratifying and it results in good outcomes, but it also means that in our experience, those same kids might not have the time to engage in physical activity and social relationships. They don't sleep as much because they're struggling to keep up academically. And a lot of the kids we study report in those environments that they often find themselves having these, you know, real internal conflicts about their identity and whose values do they have? Are they more like their classmates or are they more like their family of and that those are real struggles for young people that can be quite stressful. It doesn't help that upward mobility is harder than it used to be. Case in point, two-thirds of Americans born in the 40s and 50s reached a higher socioeconomic status than their parents, while fewer than half the children born in the 70s and 80s were able to pull off the same. While these upward mobility participants reported substantially less psychological distress, 
Growing evidence suggests that there are unique health stressors on people who buck the odds and improve their financial status. Here to talk more about them is Inverse's Ali Patillo. Hey, Ali. Hey, Tanya. Thanks for having me. Sure. So to study the relationship between, you know, upward mobility, stress and health, et cetera, we're looking at research years in the making. First, let's talk about the study because researchers really had their work cut out for them. How did this experiment ultimately pan out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was a pretty far-reaching study. The researchers analyzed data from over 9,000 people who experienced in two different multi-decade studies. So they basically tracked people from about the age of between 11 and 20 and until they were between 24 and 32. So for a good part of their life, and the researchers tracked their family income when they were young and then their socioeconomic status as they grew older. And then they compared these participants' financial situations to different measures of cardiometabolic health. So they looked at high blood pressure, abdominal fat, um, cholesterol levels, blood glucose, All these different factors can indicate a condition called metabolic syndrome, which can lead to obesity, diabetes, heart disease, things that, you know, we want to avoid. And as you talked about, they discovered some pretty kind of unfortunate findings that kind of contradict the idea that wealth always equals health. In looking at, I guess we'll call them socioeconomic climbers, what else is unique about their path that might lend to this health compromise? Are there other stressors in particular that come into play? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, ascending the socioeconomic ladder in general is just a really stressful process. I mean, people are having to work double time to catch up to people who might have started off at a more advantageous, from a a more advantageous position. And years and years of doing that, of overcoming barriers, of working harder, that can contribute to chronic stress, which then influences their health. So some kind of specific stressors that the researchers mentioned might be discrimination along the way, a lack of academic resources that more advantaged peers might have. All of these kind of complicated constellation of factors can create this overwhelming chronic feeling of stress, which then leads to metabolic syndrome. And then not to mention, you know, how about the fact that the current economic landscape looks so much different than it used to, you know? How did today's broader struggles with money factor in becomes the question? And could this then mean that we're on a path to become even more unhealthy? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of other reasons besides money or financial factors that are shaping what a lot of people call epidemics in obesity, with diabetes, with heart disease. You know, there are a lot of reasons that maybe we should be exercising more. We should be trying to eat you know, more nutrient-rich foods on top of managing potential stress that comes along with, with financial factors. But as you mentioned, social mobility was a lot easier to achieve in the 40s and 50s compared to now. Um, So ascending the economic ladder might be a more stressful health compromising process now. I think that a lot more research is needed to understand that relationship. But this study certainly cautions people from kind of oversimplifying the situation and thinking that just because someone has, quote unquote, made it, that their health is kind of guaranteed or even vastly improved. 
Right, right. There's a lot more to figure out. But in working with what we do know, how do researchers suggest we can maybe work with this knowledge? For example, you know, how can workplaces or universities be mindful of this now that we know of this cause and effect? Yeah, I mean, I think the researchers didn't necessarily outline kind of a, a plan forward for how this these findings should be put into practice. I think, again, more research is needed there. But what they did say is that Workplaces and academic settings, universities should be supporting all individuals, making them each individually feel really supported because there there is this complicated range of factors that might be putting a serious mental toll on them if they are having to work overtime, if they are trying to ascend a socioeconomic ladder. All of these things can put a serious weight on people's minds and then ultimately on their bodies. And so whether that's, you know, creating space for for that person to have a chance to de-stress or more chances to exercise or whatever it is, there are a whole range of factors, but just providing that support and recognizing again, that it's just not, even if somebody is in their PhD program, it doesn't mean um, that they're not dealing with some of these additional stressors. Stuff to think about. Ali Patillo, thank you so much. Thanks, Tanya. If there's anything we've learned from TikTok videos, there are seemingly infinite formulations of coffee. But one question persists. How does the way we drink coffee actually affect our health? Up now, what science says about the healthiest way to caffeinate your day. all night. Not because of caffeine, it was insomnia. I couldn't stop thinking about coffee. Today, we're going to talk about ratios for coffee brewing. What we're going to do here is build up a mocha. I'm going to be trying to make creamy whipped coffee. How to use a mocha pot. Today, we're going to talk about the six most famous coffees around the world. I'm going to show you how to make a cafe latte. How to make a cappuccino. How to make the perfect cafe au lait. How to make a cafe americano. The macchiato. How to make a better cup of coffee. What we're going to do today is some espresso drinks. Excuse me, can I get a cup of coffee? That's all I ever asked for. But in a quarantine-induced curiosity, one learns quickly that a stroll through YouTube can provide endless how-tos on creating the perfect kind of liquid caffeine for your drinking pleasure. A billion-dollar industry and just as many variations of it, coffee is more than an instant caffeine rush. It's a pastime, an indulgence. And according to science, it's been proven to have a long list of health benefits, including lowering the risk of liver cancer, type 2 diabetes, heart failure, Alzheimer's, and even computer related back pain. But new evidence suggests that how we make it could be making all the difference. A study published April 2020 in the European Journal of Preventative Cardiology got to the bottom of the last drop of it, sorry, and found that drinking filtered coffee is the healthiest way to go. Researchers found that drinking filtered coffee helps users stave off disease and early death, and it may even boost longevity. In fact, drinking filtered coffee was associated with reducing the risk of death by 15% from any cause compared to people who didn't drink coffee at all. But what about your French press and all its fanciful glory? Unfortunately, unfiltered coffee proved to be the most dangerous brewing approach. It's the method that also includes your favorite espressos, cappuccinos, and Turkish coffees. Dr. Michael Grieger of nutritionfacts.org explains how cholesterol is affected in particular. 
The cholesterol-raising factor from coffee beans has since been identified as the fatty substances in the oil within coffee beans. It apparently gets stuck in the paper filter. This explains why filtered coffee doesn't affect cholesterol, whereas boiled or French press or Turkish coffees do. However, the study's team researchers said that French press fans and fancy coffee enthusiasts can stick with their habit at the end of the day, but swapping out a cup of drip coffee every now and then might not hurt. Joining us with more on how you can feel better about your much-needed daily coffee intake is Inverse staff writer Ali Patillo. Hey, Ali. Hey, Tanya. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, quick abstract poll. How do you take your coffee, if you drink it? I definitely drink it. Most of the <laughs> good, time, good. I try and make myself drink it black, but I end up having a skim latte more often than not. Yeah, same. Okay, so that's 100% of the abstract podcast, filtered black coffee. Well, filtered? Filtered, yes. Very good. So that um, that leads us to this study, which was actually, I mean, and it has to be if you're obviously testing things like longevity and health, but it was a very large, very extensive study, over half a million people in Norway over 20 years. Um, so how was this team finally able to conclude that it was drinking filtered coffee that proved to to be the healthiest. Yeah, so Tanya, you're totally right. This study was huge. They followed hundreds of thousands of people from 1985 to 2003. They asked them how they drank their coffee, how often, and they also looked at other factors that influence their health, like smoking, their weight, physical activity, their blood pressure. And then they saw who died and who was likely to have adverse cardiovascular events. And basically stacking the different coffee brewing methods head to head um, proved that filtered coffee is the healthiest way to brew coffee. What were those benefits when they when they did find this to be the way? Um, what were the benefits of drinking filtered coffee according to this study? Yeah, so in the study, they found that drinking filtered coffee was associated with a 15% re reduced risk of death from any cause um, compared to people who skip coffee altogether. And this study was observational, so you can't say that it was actually drinking that cup of coffee every day that reduced their risk of death, but there was an, a pretty strong association there. And they think that the positive effects come from the fact that coffee is rich in antioxidants, including these antioxidants called polyphenols. Right. You always hear about that. In terms of this unfiltered coffee, which consists of a lot of the fancier, you know, I, I was recently YouTubing in my, uh, you know, coffee lockdown adventures, <laughs> um, you know, the best coffees out there, a lot of them, in order to make them, you have to go the unfiltered route. And apparently that was the most dangerous way of drinking coffee. So unfiltered coffee is when the coffee grounds sit in hot water for a long time, and then they're poured directly into the cup. That's your French press, your Turkish coffee. And it turns out unfiltered coffee has substances that spike bad kinds of cholesterol. These things are called, they're hard to pronounce, but diterpenes, kawiol, and cafestol. And it turns out a single cup of unfiltered coffee has about 30 times the concentration of these substances compared to filtered coffee. Right. And, you know, this is just, again, to prove that this debate over you know whether or not coffee is good for you. It's been a long-standing one, but more and more studies tend to add weight to the positive side. And this one in particular, when you factored in the results compared to the people who don't drink coffee, that was something that, um, again, proved interesting and maybe lends more weight to the benefits of coffee. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, we've also seen really positive effects from drinking tea and drinking green tea in particular, but this study is definitely good news for all the coffee drinkers, including myself, that drinking a daily cup of drip coffee isn't going to hurt you, and it also might help you in the long run. Great. Or four or five, in my case. Really interesting stuff. Um, and yeah, that's uh, good news for all our coffee uh, enthusiasts out there. So, Ali, thanks so much for the latest, and talk to you soon. Thanks, Tanya. 
Head to inverse.com for more on the latest scientific discoveries about your physical health. You can click on the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at inverse.com. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.